Well, over 20 years ago, I was uh, at Central Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, and I was sitting next to a friend of mine and her brother who was in town visiting, and he wasn't so much a church-going guy. Uh, and the sermon was on giving. Uh, I remember being both challenged by it and being encouraged by it. And after the service, I asked him what he thought, and he said, that's why I never go to church. The preachers are always talking about money. <laughs> I didn't quite know what to say. In my mind, I was thinking, well, maybe if you worshiped every week with us, you'd realize that the topic really doesn't come up all that often. Maybe you're here for the first time visiting. Here's what you need to know. We don't always preach on money. It just happens to be in giving. It just happens to be where we are in our sermon series. But the truth is, maybe we should preach more about money and possessions in giving. Jesus talked much about money. 16 of his 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of ten verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Why so much an emphasis? Maybe we need it. In their book, Giving, Unlocking the Heart of of good stewardship, authors Ortberg and Peterson and Poling make this statement. Listen, they say, money is a litmus test of our true character, is an index of our spiritual life. Our stewardship of money tells a deep and consequential story. It forms our biography. In a sense, listen, how we relate to money and possessions is the story of our lives. So, how does your giving reflect the story of your life? This morning we're in Exodus. We're actually wrapping up our sermon series on Saved for Glory. And it's a really long sermon text. There's actually two parts to it. Um, the first part is from Exodus 25. We kind of read over that months ago. Um, there God tells his people to give. Why? So the tabernacle can be built, so he can dwell with them. But then a lot happens between chapter 25 and, our, and the next chapters we're going to look at, verse, chapters 35. But here God issues that same call to give. And finally the people have a chance to give, and they do give. So we're just going to read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 25. Chapter 35, verse 4 through 36, 7. They're printed in your bulletin, and we're just going to refer to parts of them. So does that make sense? Here we go. You guys ready? Exodus 25, verse 1 through 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, and for the uh, fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breast piece. 
And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word for us. Uh, In many ways, we will be challenged this morning, but also in many ways, uh, I hope we will be encouraged. Um, We see your generosity towards us, and it makes us generous towards you. Help us to understand these things, though. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there is a tiny town in Denmark, perhaps you've been reading it in the news feeds lately, called Brand, or Brandy, I don't know, B-R-A-N-D-E, I don't know how you say that, Brand. There's roughly 7,000 towns people, right? Well, last month, the city council approved the building of a 1,049-foot skyscraper at that little town. It's going to be the tallest structure in Europe, the tallest other than the Eiffel Tower which is 1,063 feet. That's big. The head of construction said, it will be a landmark that places brand on the map. Our passage this morning reminds us that we are part of a far greater building project, a project not of the will of man, but of the will of God. In chapter 25 in the book of Exodus, we read that God called out to his people. And and he said, everyone whose heart moves him shall give an offering of gold and silver and fine linens. And you you saw the list. It's a, a lot of really interesting things. Why? To build a home for God. Look at verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Remember the big narrative of the Bible from beginning to end? The big theme of it is what? I will be their God and they will be my people. I will dwell with them. Now, it's a good thing that they didn't actually receive the offering in chapter 25. I think that instead of giving generously with open hands, my guess is that they would have given with clenched fists, holding tightly to the wealth that was in their pockets. It was roughly two months earlier in chapter, um, um, well, two months later in chapter 35 that Moses again gives a call to give, and then they gave generously. They gave so much that Moses actually had to say, stop, hold on. What changed? What changed from chapter 25 to 35? Well, what changed with them is what needs to take place in our lives if we are ever to be generous like our Heavenly Father. What happened? The people experienced a cataclysmic failure. Remember, they made this golden calf to replace the Lord so that this calf could lead them into the promised land under their terms and their their own timing. They, They betrayed God at the deepest level. But do you remember what happened? They did not get what they deserved. They deserved rejection. But what did God do? He covered them with mercy and grace and steadfast love and faithfulness. And I think that by chapter 35, they 
finally knew what we must know is that beyond a doubt, they were sinners saved by God's grace. They deserved nothing, and yet God gave them everything, including himself. God abounded in generosity towards them. And so when God says receive an offering from everyone whose heart moves them, the entire nation gives generously. They gave, understand this, they gave as a response to God's grace so that God could be present with them. This morning we will look at how we too can get there to that place, to be a people joyfully resting in God's grace, so much so that we respond to God's generosity with our own generosity. That's what we're going to investigate this morning. And as we do, we'll come to see that generosity is a response to God's grace in which we give so that God can be present with us. First, let's see that generosity is an act of worship. Exodus 35, verse 5, we read, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. First, did you notice that though it was Moses who kind of passed around the the offering basket, the offering, it wasn't for Moses. Moses received what? A contribution to the Lord. Understand this. When you give to Grace Church or any other Christian cause, you're not giving to the leadership of that church, but to the Lord himself. Your giving is an act of worship because you're giving the contribution to the Lord and his work. Giving is also an act of worship because it flows from a generous heart. See, we come to worship, listen, we come to worship whatever our hearts delight in most. If your heart delights in pleasurable experiences, you will worship fun vacations and fancy meals out. If your heart delights in financial security, you will worship your retirement accounts and your happiness will rise and fall with the S&P 500 index. The Israelites had finally come to delight in God. Not what God can give to them, but purely in God himself, in his mercy, in his grace. And so when God said that he was moving into the neighborhood, they were oh so glad to take part in that very first episode of Extreme Home Makeover. Their hearts are now generous towards God. And so they gave as an act of worship See, we, we aren't to give out of a sense of duty. We're to give out of delight. So my friends, do you, do you see your giving as an act of worship? Do you give out of joy and delight? Next, we must see that generosity is a giving back of that which was already given to you. Answer this question for me. Where did the Israelites get all that gold and silver and bronze and precious stones and all that stuff? Where did they get it? You remember? In Egypt. (laughs) From their Egyptian neighbors who had enslaved them. In chapter 12, we read that, that the Lord had caused the Egyptians to look upon the Israelites with favor. So that as they were leaving, they were just heaping treasure on them as they left. God did it. And so too for you and me, everything you have, all the income you receive is a gift from God to you. 
We give only what the Lord has already given to us. Everything is ultimately traceable back to God's grace. Now, think this through. I don't know about you, but I tend to think that if I was in that giant Jewish caravan and my Egyptian neighbors had like loaded my pockets full of gold and precious stones and gave me that shiny Rolex watch, I think my mind would have been racing with selfish ambition. Look what I God, I can't wait to get to the promised land. Hey, honey, guess what? We're going to buy a big house up in the hills. Might even have enough to get a beach property and a boat. I'm pretty sure that before, back in chapter 25, when God first mentioned he was going to collect an offering, I have a tendency to think that, that, that the Israelites are going, gosh, I hope it's not going to be too big of a tabernacle. I got plans for this. I'm sure that they looked at their plunder that God had given them, like those seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. It was only after experiencing God's transforming grace that they came to say to the Lord, No, it's yours. Yours. It's yours. So let's do this. Next time that, that payroll direct deposit lands in your account and you get your app out, it's like, oh, it's the first, it's the 15th. Let me see if it's there. Right? When that happens, remember the seagulls. And consider, are, in that moment, are you saying, mine, mine, mine? Or are you saying to the Lord, ah, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. See, you cannot be generous back to God in his kingdom until you realize that all you have is from God for his kingdom. Jesus told us parables so that we would see that our lives on this earth, the one life you have to live, is a life lived as a steward of what God has given you. A steward doesn't own the assets, but he watches over them for the true owner and puts them to good use. What if Christians around the world and here in America really saw themselves not as owners but as stewards? Well, I think we, would, we wouldn't hold tightly, but we would hold loosely. But, you know, statistics show that only 3 to 5% of Christians, 3 to 5%, actually give a tithe. A tithe literally means a tenth. So it's gotten worse, not better, over the last 80 years. Christians today give less proportionally than what we did during the Great Depression. Mine? Mine? Mine, mine? It's kind of funny in Finding Nemo's story, but it's not so funny in the story of our lives. But the Israelites are now in a place spiritually where they've come to realize that that the God who rescued them and who's pledged to dwell with them is gracious and glorious and good and will provide for all that they need. Instead of finding excuses not to give, what do they do? Um, look at chapter 35, verse 20. Verse 20, chapter 35. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. All right? 
And what did they do? They, they ran home and they raided their safe. And then in verse 21, and they came. Everyone whose what? Whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of the meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, all who were of a what? Willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets. No one wears armlets anymore, do we? All sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord. Hmm. My friends, for us to have generous hearts, we must come to the understanding that generosity is a giving back of that which was given to us. Thirdly, generosity means we give freely. Have you ever been to a charity fundraiser? Perhaps you have, right? I get invited to a lot of them, you know. Um, I've come to find that my tuxedo is really outdated. I need a new one. Uh, but at some point after the food comes and you're sitting there and you're, you're ready to dance the Macarena, and then, and then this envelope lands in your lap and people start looking kind of squeamishly at each other, right? You've, you've experienced that? Okay. In those moments, it's possible, it's possible that you feel compelled to give, right? That's not how the Lord wishes us to give. Look at chapter five, 35, verse 29. 35:29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded them by Moses to be done, brought it as what? A free will offering to the Lord. Moses did not coerce them. Moses did not threaten them. Moses didn't say, well, you know, if you're a good Israelite, you'd give a lot. No, remember, that's how Aaron got the gold for making the golden calf. What did he say? He told everyone, go home, take the earrings out of your, wife, out of your wives and your children." ears and bring them back we're going to melt them down Moses calls for a free will offering actually it was God's idea right the Lord instructed Moses only those whose hearts moved them why because God wants us to give freely with joy why because God loves a cheerful giver here's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. In other words, it's up to you. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart. And he says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. My friends, voluntary, free giving is the best giving. It means what? That we've been transformed by God's grace. And it means this too. It means we're becoming more like our Father in heaven. That's why God loves a cheerful giver. It means that we're becoming like him. And their cheerful giving resulted in a bountiful gift. The people brought, listen, over one ton of gold, three tons of silver, and two tons of bronze. Rather than receiving too little, the workmen had received too much. Look at the very end of our passage in chapter 36. All the way to the bottom, wherever that is. In verse 2. Incidentally, 
um, any young parents about ready to give birth? There's some great baby names in here. Okay. <laughs> Verse 2. <laughs> and Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman, listen, in whose mind the Lord had put skill. The Lord put it there. Everyone whose heart stirred up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people, look, were restrained from bringing for the material that that was for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. They gave more than enough to, to, to finish the work of building the home for God to dwell in. It's amazing. Moses had to tell him to stop. Now, for us today, God no longer dwells in a tent made of animal skins. Far greater, he dwells in the body of Christ, the church. And because, listen, and because the building up of the body of Christ will not end until Christ returns... We, his people, will always be able to give to the work of building up the church and growing Christ's kingdom. We are a building in which God dwells, Christ dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. In America, Christianity has become a very individualistic thing. It's just between me and God and the Spirit that's in me. No, That's not how our New Testament brothers and sisters looked at things. They looked as God saving them into this body. Here's what Ephesians 2 says. Paul writes this down. He says, um, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into what? A holy temple of the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. (laughs) I think we all need a higher, better understanding of the church. The church is the people of God, spread around this globe, throughout all time and space, who belong to Christ, were filled with the Spirit. And, and God is in the business of building this up so that the mission of the church, which is to advance the kingdom of Christ, can take place. We give so that God can more fully dwell on this earth in people for his glory. That's why we give. And so our giving is to be ongoing because this work is not going to be done until Christ returns. 
We do it so that God's presence may come more fully to earth. We do this so that more people on the east end of Long Island come to experience God coming down into our lives. Lastly, generous giving involves the giving of our best, our best treasure and our best talent. You know, 15 years ago, I was the youth director of this huge church, like 3,000 plus members, and so there was a lot of stuff to be done there, and, and a lot of people would call regularly. I got this phone call fairly regularly. Someone would call the church, they ask for me, and they say, um, hey, we're getting a new couch. We're wondering if the youth room could use a new couch. I came to know over time that the, the new couch for the youth room was really more like a new-to-you couch, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Now, usually these couches were in good shape, but by golly, there's times, though, things showed up, they looked so bad, I would just say, no, thank you. Like, like some old rundown red paisley thing with stains and holes. Oh, man, no, thank you. I think I ticked off a few people. I didn't mean to, but I'd say, no, you know, this, this couch, let my youth put the holes in it, right? All right. But it got to be frustrating, and I, I used to think, well, why can't people like buy a new couch and give it to the church and just keep their old one, you know? Uh, but anyway, so all that to say the tabernacle was built with the best materials, the most expensive, not the least. The finished tabernacle was beautiful, nothing like it had ever graced this earth. Why is that? Because our God is a God of beauty. Beauty and splendor. They belong to God. Just look at how beautiful this universe is. How creative it is. It speaks of our God's beauty. God has an eye for aesthetics. His tabernacle where he dwelled was beautiful. At least on the inside, right? The outside was covered with what? Just plain old goat skin. So as it sat there in the camp, the only way you'd really be able to tell it was any different from the people's tents was it was was bigger. If you looked at the tabernacle, it would look like the other tents. On the outside, regular old goat skin, but on the inside, glory. On the inside, beauty. So too the church, right? On the outside, we're just a bunch of normal-looking people going about our God-given calling. But on the inside, glory and beauty. Transformation is taking place. Christ our Lord dwells in us richly. He is our head. We are his body. We display what it looks like for, for ordinary people to be transformed by a God who's in our presence. Yeah, the watchful world looks at us Christians, and sometimes they roll their eyes. And rightly, rightly so, sometimes we say and do some really crazy things at times. But not so our Lord. There's, yeah, there's plenty of things he might like to change with his church to improve it. But when he sees his body, he sees beauty and glory. And he loves us. We actually bring him glory. I think so often Christians, we beat ourselves up so much. 
for the things that we've done wrong, where we know we should have done something right. But know this, our God is pleased with us. Christ, our head, delights in us. God is doing a work of beauty in his church. And because of this, we give our best to further his work on earth. But know this, we don't just give the best of our treasure, we give the best of our talent. The tabernacle required more than just precious stones and linens and twine. It required gifted, talented craftsmen and women to do the work. In in chapter 35, verse 10, God calls out for all kinds of craftsmen and women, workers of gold and bronze and wood and spinners of yarn and fine twine. And then in verse 30, we we read that not only were the skilled workers needed, but God himself filled them with the Spirit to do the work. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting of stones for setting, and in carving of wood for work in every skilled craft. Sounds like a Renaissance man. And he was inspired... And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them, God has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by the engraver or designer or embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yards and fine twine linens or by a weaver or any sort of workman or skilled designer. My friends, God's grace transforms us into a people who don't just give our financial resources, but we give our very skills too. You know, some of you are like really good teachers of kids and our children's ministry flourishes because you invest time in our children. Of course, some of you aren't even here because you're teaching our kids right now. Others are great at greeting or ushering or setting up or cleaning up or playing an instrument. Some of you are tradesmen and you actually use your skills to help maintain and beautify this building. God has made it so that you can joyfully use the gifts and skills that he has given you for building up the body of Christ. The Israelites became generous with all their possessions and with their skills. They gave their best treasure And they gave their best talents. So, there's a lot more that could be said about giving. Try to be simple, kind of stick with the passage. We've seen, though, that the reason why God calls his people to give generously is why? So he can come down and be present. And since the church is the body of Christ on earth, we give so that Christ presence on earth may not be hindered, but rather can be magnified. The work of reaching people who don't yet know Christ is a, is a big work. So may we, as, as Grace Church, may we be a people who give generously so that Christ will be more and more present here on Long Island. We've seen that generosity is an act of worship. We aren't giving to the church, we're giving to Christ, Right? When we have an 
offering a worship service is part of the worship. It's not like you don't just hit pause and then collect money, receive an offering, and then start play again. Now, a couple practical things. Some of you uh, set up for an automatic with like check mailed out or an automatic transfer out of your bank account to Grace Church. It's convenient, right? Uh, it keeps you from, from forgetting. But it's also kind of makes things a little uncomfortable. When we are receiving an offering, you just keep handing it by, right? And you feel perhaps like you're not part of the actual worship service. Quick thing you could do, there's these little envelopes, put your name on it, write on it, uh, ACH or online giving, and put it in the offering. Um, doing so, that physical act will, will, will add to the, to the worshipfulness of the service for you, perhaps. We've also learned that generosity is giving back that which was already given to us, that we're stewards, not owners. My hope, Grace Church, is that we can grow in this grace of giving. If you cannot currently tithe because maybe you've taken on too much debt or you're living beyond your means, will you take time this week just to soak in God's generosity towards you and come up with a plan, a budget that that honors God? And commit to it. It might mean that you start at 2% or 5 and then over time you add another percent. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to mandate those kind of things. It's between you and the Lord. But if you need help, we got people here who actually are good at budgeting and encouraging and those kind of things. Talk to me. We'll find someone to assist you. And if you are tithing, know this, that God has entrusted you with more so that you can give more, perhaps more than a tithe to his kingdom. In the end, faithful stewards are those who are entrusted with God's gifts, and we give back generously. It also means that as Christians that we're to give freely. God does not coerce us. I'm not here to coerce you to give. But what does get me excited is that when the people of God are giving, it says to me that that our, that our motto, remember our motto? alive in Christ, that more and more of us are coming alive in Christ. We're being fruitful. We're maturing. Lastly, we've seen that generous giving is the giving of our best, our best treasure, our best talent. If God, listen, if God has given us his best, and he has, then how can we withhold our best from the work that he's doing in us and through us? Paul makes a wonderful point in Romans chapter 8 that that highlights God's magnificent generosity. Romans 8, verses 31 to 33. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, and he is, uh, who can be against us? He who did, listen, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We give our best treasure and talent because God is for us, not against us. He did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ, but generously gave him for us. Paul is saying that that kind of generosity from God never leaves us hanging. Christian, you can give knowing that God did not hold anything back from you. Nothing. 
He gave you his best. He gave you his son. So how could we ever withhold our best? Nathan Hale was an American soldier and spy for the Continental Army during the, during the American Revolutionary War. He was caught by the British forces, and he was sentenced to be hanged. His last words he spoke from the gallows were, I'm sure some of you recall this, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. How much more shall we say, I only regret that I have but one life to live for my Savior? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we, though we were once aliens and strangers, through your son, through your generosity, through your giving of him, we are now part of the household of God, part of a building that you are building where Christ is the chief cornerstone. We thank you that in our giving, it actually brings about a greater reality of your presence on earth. May this truth change us, transform us. May we not say, mine, 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 but yours, 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 and how we live our lives here on earth, we pray. Amen.